This one goes out to my professor who I wrote the same exact word-for-word -word essay on, plagiarized it completely, and they said it was unorganized sloppy and they couldn't understand it. This goes out to you, James Corbett. No joke! In 2015, a study from the Institute of Diet and Health with some surprising results launched a slew of clickbait articles with explosive headlines. Chocolate accelerates weight loss, insisted one such headline. Scientists say eating chocolate can help you lose weight, declared another. Lose 10% more weight by eating a chocolate bar every day. No joke, promised yet another. There was just one problem. This was a joke. The head researcher of the study, Johannes Bohannon, took to io9 in May of that year to reveal that his name was actually John Bohannon, the Institute of Diet and Health was in fact nothing more than a website, and the study showing the magical weight loss effects of chocolate consumption was bogus. The hoax was the brainchild of a German television reporter who wanted to demonstrate just how easy it is to turn bad science into the big headlines behind diet fads. Given how widely the study's surprising conclusion was publicized, from the pages of Build, Europe's largest newspaper, to the TV sets of viewers in Texas and Australia, that demonstration was remarkably successful. But although it's tempting to write this story off as a demonstration about gullible journalists and the scientific illiteracy of the press, the hoax serves as a window into a much larger, much more troubling story. That story is the crisis of science. This is The Corbett Report. What makes the chocolate weight loss study so revealing isn't that it was completely fake. It's that in an important sense, it wasn't fake. Bohannes really did conduct a weight loss study, and the data really does support the conclusion that subjects who ate chocolate on a low-carb diet lose weight faster than those on a non-chocolate diet. In fact, the chocolate dieters even had better cholesterol readings. The trick was all in how the data was interpreted and reported. As Bohannes explained in his post-hoax confession, Here's a dirty little science secret. If you measure a large number of things about a small number of people, you are almost guaranteed to get a statistically significant result. Our study included 18 different measurements, weight, cholesterol, sodium, blood protein levels, sleep quality, well-being, etc., from 15 people. One subject was dropped. That study design is a recipe for false positives. You see, Finding a statistically significant result sounds impressive and helps scientists to get their paper published in high-impact journals, but statistical significance is in fact easy to fake. If, like Bohannes, you use a small sample size and measure for 18 different variables, it's almost impossible not to find some statistically significant result. Scientists know this, and the process of sifting through data to find statistically significant, but ultimately meaningless results, is so common that it has its own name. P-hacking, or data dredging. But P-hacking only scrapes the surface of the problem. From confounding factors, to normalcy bias, to publication pressures, to outright fraud, the once pristine image of science and scientists as an impartial font of knowledge about the world has been seriously undermined over the past decade. Although these types of problems are by no means new, 
They came into vogue when John Ioannidis, a physician, researcher, and writer at the Stanford Prevention Research Center, rocked the scientific community with his landmark paper, Why Most Published Research Findings Are False. The 2005 paper addresses head-on the concern that most current published research findings are false, asserting that, for many current scientific fields, claimed research findings may often be simply accurate measurements of the prevailing bias. The paper has achieved iconic status, becoming the most downloaded paper in the Public Library of Science and launching a conversation about false results, fake data, bias, manipulation, and fraud in science that continues to this day. This is a paper that is uh, practically presenting a mathematical modeling of uh, what are the chances that a research finding that is published in the literature would be true. And uh, it uses uh, different parameters, different aspects in terms of uh, what we know before, uh, how likely it is for something to be true in a field, how much bias there may be in the field, uh, uh, what kind of results we get, and uh, what are the statistics that are presented uh, for the specific result. I have been humbled that this uh, work has uh, drawn so much attention and uh, um, people from uh, very different scientific fields ranging not just uh, biomedicine but also psychological science, uh, social science, even astrophysics uh, and uh, other more remote uh, disciplines have uh, been attracted to uh, what that paper was trying to, to do. Since Ioannidis' paper took off, the crisis of science has become a mainstream concern, generating headlines in the mainstream press like the Washington Post, The Economist, and the Times Higher Education Supplement. It has even been picked up by mainstream science publications like Scientific American, Nature, and Fizz.org. So what is the problem? And how bad is it really? And what does it mean for an increasingly tech-dependent society that something is rotten in the state of science? To get a handle on the scope of this dilemma, we have to realize that the crisis of science isn't a crisis at all, but a series of interrelated crises that get to the heart of the way institutional science is practiced today. First, there is the replication crisis. This is the canary in the coal mine of the scientific crisis in general because it tells us that a surprising percentage of scientific studies, even once published in top-tier academic journals that are often thought of as the gold standard for experimental research, cannot be reliably reproduced. This is a symptom of a larger crisis because reproducibility is considered to be a bedrock of the scientific process. In a nutshell, an experiment is reproducible if independent researchers can run the same experiment and get the same results at a later date. It doesn't take a rocket scientist to understand why this is important. If an experiment is truly revealing some fundamental truth about the world, then that experiment should yield the same results under the same conditions anywhere and at any time, all other things being equal. Well, not all things are equal. In the opening years of this decade, the Center for Open Science led a team of 240 volunteer researchers in a quest to reproduce the results of 100 psychological experiments. These experiments had all been published in three of the most prestigious psychology journals. The results of this attempt to replicate these experiments, published in 2015 in a paper on estimating the reproducibility of psychological science, were abysmal only 39 of the experimental results could be reproduced. Worse yet for those who would defend institutional science from its critics, these results are not confined to the realm of psychology. In 2011, Nature published a paper showing that researchers were only able to reproduce between 20 and 25% of 67 published preclinical drug studies. They published another paper the next year with an even worse result, 
researchers could only reproduce six of a total of 53 landmark cancer studies. That's a reproducibility rate of 11%. These studies alone are persuasive, but the cherry on top came in May 2016 when Nature published the results of a survey of over 1,500 scientists, finding fully 70% of them had tried and failed to reproduce published experimental results at some point. The poll covered research from a range of disciplines, from physicists and chemists, to earth and environmental scientists, to medical researchers and assorted others. So why is there such a widespread inability to reproduce experimental results? The simplest answer is the one that most fundamentally shakes the widespread belief that scientists are disinterested truth-seekers who would never dream of publishing a false result or deliberately misleading others. Survey sheds light on crisis rocking research. More than 70% of researchers have tried and failed to reproduce another scientist's experiments and more than half have failed to reproduce their own experiments. There are some of the telling figures that emerged from Nature's survey of 1,576 researchers who took a brief online questionnaire on reproducibility in research. The data reveals sometimes contradictory attitudes towards reproducibility. Although 52% of those surveyed agree that there is a significant crisis of reproducibility, less than 31% think that failure to reproduce published results means that the result is probably wrong, and most say that they still trust the published literature. Data on how much of the scientific literature is reproducible are rare and generally bleak. The best known analyses from psychology and cancer biology found rates of 40% and 10% respectively. So the headline of this article, James, that we grabbed from our buddy Doug at Blacklisted News, 40% of scientists admit fraud always or often contributes to irreproducible research. In fact, the data shows that the crisis of fraud in scientific circles is even worse than scientists will admit. A study published in 2012 found that fraud or suspected fraud was responsible for listening to the Corbett Report. CorbettReport.com Welcome back, friends. Welcome back to the Corbett Report. I am your host, James Corbett of CorbettReport.com, coming to you, as always, from the sunny climes of western Japan, here on this 19th day of June, 2020. Welcome to episode 381 of the Corbett Report podcast, who will fact-check the fact-checkers? And yes, as I'm sure you can discern from the title of today's episode, today we're going to be talking about a very important topic that directly impinges on the work that I do here at the Corbett Report and that the independent media is doing... Sorry about that. I'm Pardon the interruption. As I was saying, every time you go to share a link to this type of information that I deal with here at the Corporate Report this day and age, it seems that you get some sort of warning that... <laughs> oh dear, this is going to be a problem, isn't it? Well, as I was saying, you get some sort of warning that this information is that most dreaded phenomenon of this information age in which we... <laughs> No. 
that this is fake Sometimes the news you find on the internet isn't real. It's what we call fake news. Fake news is when news, stories, or hoaxes are created to deliberately misinform or deceive. Still, recognizing fake news is hard. That's why it's up to you to be critical of what you see and hear online. What percent of the American people who see fake news believe it? 75%. If we are not serious about facts and what's true and what's not, then we have problems. Unlike fake news, real news goes through vetting by newsrooms with processes for mistakes. Editorial board and writers are disclosed. But nowadays, the term is even used to attack legitimate news organizations. Don't be rude. No, I'm not going to give you a question. I'm not going to give you a question. You are fake news. Go ahead. And this misinformation goes viral because it's shared, often by a relative in your WhatsApp group who passes it on just in case, or by a celebrity who amplifies it to their thousands of followers. Tech companies, media regulators, and governments decide what happens when people start and spread misinformation. But ultimately, we're all responsible for stopping its spread. Check out our top tips for spotting and stopping misleading stuff online. And think before you share. Yes, I'm sure by now we have all seen the ham-fisted way in which this idea of the scourge of fake news flooding the internet has been foisted on the public in recent years, and I don't think it takes a great deal of thought as to why this narrative is being seeded into the public imagination right now. As I have had cause to note with James Evan Pilato on New World Next Week in the past, the conspiracy theorist thought-stopping pejorative label that has held sway over the public's imagination for the past half century as a convenient term for basically pigeonholing, smearing, and ignoring any inconvenient information to official narratives is losing its power uh, as people start to realize that it is a term that is vastly overused and is used to stop inquiry into very important subjects. So, a some sort of new term needed to come to the fore, and lo and behold, here we have fake news, this dreaded new phenomenon that is going to, oh my god, it's, it's taking over your grandma's mind, or whatever the way that it's being framed. Uh, and, of course, this has taken the form of all of the fact-checking and debunking sites that have risen to such prominence, especially over the past few years. And I'm sure, again, we've all encountered this among friends or family or other people we've tried to spread information to. Oh, you're talking about that? Well, that's been fact-checked. That's been debunked. Oh, you're not sharing that link, are you? And yes, as I'm sure you've noticed, the Corbett Report is no stranger to this treatment. In fact, if some unsuspecting uh, but well-meaning normie goes to Google, heaven forfend, for more information about the Corbett Report, one of the first things they're going to encounter is some fact-checker site or other that will remain nameless that uh, likes to categorize such sites as the Corbett Report and has categorized the Corbett Report as a tinfoil hat conspiracy site with moderate levels of pseudoscience <laughs> because I talk about things like the deep state or I, I have alternative ideas about 9-11. <laughs> and, well, how are you going to argue with that? Uh, well, you told me to look at this 
piece of information from this site called the Corbett Report, but look, that site's a conspiracy theorist site. So I can turn my brain off. I don't have to look at the information or the sources of the information that are hyperlinked there so I can go and actually read the source documents. No, no, no. I have learned from this website, which for some reason I'm placing over top of my own cognitive faculties and uh, as ruler of my of my world and my imagination, they've told me that I can't look into this, so I'm not going to. <laughs> it is a convenient thing, isn't it? So, yes, don't worry, poor dear sheeple out there, confused sheeple who just don't have time to think or to actually read or to look at sources or to come to your own decisions. Don't worry. Turn off your brain because the very same mainstream corporate establishment media that's never lied to you about anything before will not only tell you and identify this dreaded scourge of fake news that's flooding the internet, but they will also tell you exactly how to deal with it. So what do you do when this happens? A loved one, let's say it's your dad, drops into the family group chat with something he thinks is real. It's something about China manufacturing the coronavirus. There's a link to a site you've never heard of with a message calling it scary stuff. So what do you do with this? Do you ignore it? Do you call him out saying how ridiculous you think this is? If you do that to your dad, you've actually shamed him. My name is Claire Wardle and I'm the US director of First Draft and we are a nonprofit that we help people navigate the challenges of misinformation online. What happens is that your dad doubles down on his view and he dismisses what you're saying. Use language that's empathetic and to say we're all in this together and rather than you're wrong, I'm right here with the facts because that does not work. So hold back on all that reactive talk. Maybe try something like this. Yeah, these are scary times. We're all a bit afraid, but let's be careful. What you're sharing is inaccurate and it feeds into that fear we all feel. Everybody's like anxiety is so heightened right now. People are sharing this stuff not for any malicious reasons, but because they're scared too. Sending more context could also be a good move, but don't drown him in evidence. Maybe send an article from a legitimate source quoting credible scientists on why the virus wasn't manufactured. Conspiracies can be just as infectious, just as dangerous as a virus, so you have to guard against them. It's very easy to just mute your crazy high school friend on Facebook or to leave a WhatsApp group where people are sharing false information. But right now, I actually think there's kind of a responsibility on all of us to help people understand that sharing that kind of information is increasing the level of pollution. <laughs> is it possible to get secondhand cringe for a mainstream reporter? Because I certainly have it for Adrian Arsenault of the vaunted Canadian Broadcasting Corporation for that garbage piece of propaganda put out on the CBC, the Nationals, various social media feeds recently. Uh, it's just such nonsense. And it's uh, the way they frame it. Hey, I'm a reporter standing here in my kitchen with my phone, just like you regular folks, right? Right, fellow school kids? <laughs> it's like a meme. Um, but I think they intend it seriously. And I think they really think this is going to influence the public into, oh, well, I better, A, g g castigate my family for not sharing information I approve of, and B, I better spread CBC <laughs> as the, the site that I should go to as, as the place to go. I mean, it is, it is ridiculous, but this is truly the way that things are trending. And unfortunately, I think there is enough of the public that is asleep enough to fall for such 
garbage propaganda nonsense. So, let's take a look at some examples of the way that fact-checkers like Snopes and factcheck.org and PolitiFact and all the others that you've seen over the years do what they do. Because there is a very simple tactic behind debunking a fake news story, uh, which is to take a story that is going around that has some credibility, there is something to it, but take the most sensational claim, take the most irrelevant part of that sensational claim, make it the central part of the argument, debunk that straw man, and then say, look, we've debunked that argument. And unfortunately, it's exceptionally effective because of the way the entire infrastructure for this fact-checking ecosystem has been constructed. Uh, that funnels people who are searching for this information, well-meaning normies going to Google for their answers, will type it in and will find, as one of the first results, one of these fact-checking sites that will say that whatever claim that they've just been told by their friend has been debunked. And maybe one in a hundred of those well-meaning normies will actually click into the site to actually read the debunking, and maybe one in a hundred of those one in a hundred will actually use their own critical thinking fa faculties to really examine the way that that's being done. But just by those very by that very method, you have uh, 10,000 people, 9,999 of which will have been successfully placated. It's been debunked. There you go. Ah, we don't have to look at it, think about it, or examine it in any detail. This is how it is done. It's exceptionally easy, and it's exceptionally effective. And if you don't believe me, good. Do not believe me. Be skeptical and think for yourself. So let's take a look at a couple of examples of exactly how this is done. And one of the most egregious that I came across, at least in recent memory, that I did share here on the program uh, a few episodes ago, but I want to reshare because I just cannot believe how egregious this is. Y you will know by now, if you are following the Corbett Report, you will know about Event 201 that was co-hosted by the Johns Hopkins Center and uh, the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation and the World Economic Forum, etc., back in October 2019 that was wargaming, simulating an e pandemic exercise. What would happen in the event of a globally spreading coronavirus pandemic? And they wargamed it out, and this is what we'll do, and this is how you shut down international travel, and this is what will happen to business, and this is how we keep business going, and this is how we deal with misinformation online. They, they did the entire exercise, and it, it's been talked about at length, but only by those crazy conspiracy theorists who think there's anything at all, any reason at all to even wonder about the holding of a pandemic exercise simulating the spread of a globally spreading coronavirus, novel coronavirus, at the exact moment that we are led to believe that a globally spreading novel coronavirus pandemic was breaking out. If you think that that's strange in any way, well, guess what? Factcheck.org wants to put a check on that for you, and they will do so in a post that was posted in January of this year by Angelo Fischera to factcheck.org. New coronavirus wasn't predicted in simulation, which as I say, is about as far as most people will read. Oh, okay. So somebody sent me something about Event 201. I Google Event 201. It comes up with this. It says, new coronavirus wasn't predicted in simulation. Okay, good enough. So it's been debunked. Now I can turn off my reasoning switch. <laughs> now, maybe you'll look in and you... Look, they have a story. They, they have a big article about why this is false. Fake news. But 
even that, even the couple hundred words that they devote to this debunking is too much for most people, and they realize that. So uh, if you really must must try to delve, delve into this, here's the quick take. Here's the too long didn't read <laughs> for this, this 200 word article in case you just can't be bothered to read through it. Uh, the quick take here, a conspiracy theory website distorted the facts about an emergency preparedness exercise to suggest that the Gates Foundation and others predicted up to 65 million deaths, in quotation marks, caps lock, because of course, caps lock makes you look even more crazy, from the coronavirus now spreading. The event dealt with a hypothetical scenario involving a fictional virus. Case closed, ladies and gentlemen. Again, I will let you, please do, honestly, I exhort you to go and read through that factcheck.org fact check, where, once again, they take some of the irrelevant parts, or uh, even parts that aren't really being suggested by, by anyone in this story, putting them up as the central claims to be debunked, and then debunking them. As if the central claim that is being made is that somehow... The Event 201 scenario, the, plan the pandemic war game that they, they had back in 2019, was about specifically, was about what we now call SARS-CoV-2. It was about that particular novel coronavirus, and it was predicted that that would cause 65 million deaths. And that was, that is the claim that we have to examine. And look, you know, there hasn't been 65 million deaths, even by the wildly exaggerated inflated numbers that the World Health Organization and others are floating around. So that's debunked. And look, they weren't talking about SARS-CoV-2, the novel coronavirus that's now spreading. They were talking about a fictional novel coronavirus. <laughs> All right. <laughs> well, there you go. Case closed. Debunked. <laughs> but you see the way they've completely deflected the core concerns about this, the timing of a pandemic exercise predicting essentially what is happening right now in terms of a novel coronavirus, globally spreading pandemic, shutdown of businesses, all of this that came from this simulation taking place at, again, at the exact same time that we are led to believe that the novel coronavirus was just starting to infect people as we are led to believe in Wuhan. Again, anyone who doesn't see anything at least worthy of further inquiry in that type of monumental coincidence where the attendees of Event 201, as I've pointed out before, got little coronavirus plushies as their memento mori to mark the event. Oh, isn't that so cute? They, they must have took them home and put them on the mantle. And then, wouldn't you know it, a novel coronavirus starts spreading and killing millions, as we're told. Hmm. Interesting, isn't it? But no, no it isn't, because when you Google it, you'll find factcheck.org has already debunked it, so you don't have to think about it. This is exactly how this operates. Another example of this that's come across my plate, obviously, in, in recent weeks and months, is all these types of fact checks of various Bill Gates claims. And again, they use straw mans to deflect and direct the attention towards irrelevant parts of uh, genuine concerns that people have so that they can debunk them and claim the entire field of research has been debunked. For example, Reuters, which has its own fact check uh, section, has a false claim, Bill Gates planning to use microchip implants to fight coronavirus. And it goes on to detail how a viral claim, viral claim, huh, on social media says Bill Gates is planning to use microchip implants to fight the coronavirus. 
Most of the po posts say Gates will launch human implantable capsules that have digital certificates which can show who has been tested for the coronavirus and who has been vaccinated against it. And you can see where this claim is going to go. Of course, they're going to go and say, well, look, the, no one has talked, Gates has not talked about, no one has talked about implanting a microchip with the vaccine. Therefore, debunked. We don't have to think about this at all. They do, to their credit, actually mention the Reddit AMA where Bill Gates explicitly said, well, we're probably going to have to have digital certificates in order for the economy to open up. And those digital certificates will note who has had or has recovered from the infection and or who has had the vaccine once we develop a vaccine. And, but those digital certificates are not going to be microchip implants. That's crazy conspiracy theory. So they, they talk about the digital immunity passport idea. Of course, it's being seeded into the public consciousness right now and is being trialed in various places. And they talk about Bill Gates' support for that. And they do at least mention the quantum dot die uh, te technology for that, that I did, of course, mention in the Gates documentary in much more detail with links to the original paper and the original sources talking about that, that research and how it was personally uh, set in motion by Gates himself talking to the researchers and, uh, and motivating them along those lines. Um, again, I've documented that, but... Again, none of that seems relevant because, well, it's not going to be a microchip implant. You see, someone on some social media post made some claim that all of this technology and all of these things that we're talking about that really are here and documentable and verifiable was going to be a microchip implant. And it's not going to be a microchip implant, therefore you're wrong. So don't, don't think about quantum dot die technology and how that could be incorporated in the future into some digital certificate program that could be incorporated into biometric identification, which the Gates Foundation has also been intimately involved with. Here's Cushy Baby in India and their connections to Adhar and that kind of system. No, don't look at any of that documentable, verifiable information. Don't, don't trouble your little head with actual documentable facts. Just look, we've debunked the whole thing. So again, you, you see exactly how this proceeds and how it can be so incredibly devastatingly effective for people who just want to turn their brains off and let other people do their thinking for them. But it should be, I think, no surprise to anyone in my audience that there are some slight conflicts of interests that these fact-checkers have uh, when you actually go to look, well, where are these fact-checkers springing up from? Who is, who is paying the bills for these fact-checks that we are receiving? So, I mean, for example... You look at Reuters. Reuters has their fact-check division, and Reuters, of course, is part of the Thomson Reuters Corporation, which, by the way, also happens to partner with the Gates Foundation in such philanthropic endeavors as the Generation Africa Program 2020, or you have the Thomson Reuters Foundation, which does philanthropic efforts in the uh, news media freedom of speech space, which, oh, by the way, is partially funded by the Gates Foundation, along with a gaggle of other similar uh, crony-type foundations. So, again, how much can we trust Reuters in, when they are telling us about the Gates Foundation and debunking claims about it? Uh, but it's not, of course, just Reuters. Another site that you will encounter along these lines is africacheck.org, which... Uh, uh, has many different types of debunks about, for example, Bill Gates' involvement in Africa along various different lines. But then when you check into who are they funded by, their partners include 
say it with me, the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation, as well as the Open Society Foundation, of course, George Soros. So no surprise there. Or you look at the International Fact-Checking Network, which, quote, reviews fact-checkers for compliance with its code and issues a certification to publishers who pass their rigorous, no doubt, audit, and that grants certifications to those fact-checkers so they can be added to the official fact-checker list of approved fact-checkers for Google and Facebook and the big tech cabal. But Guess who the International Fact-Checking Network, put together by the Pointer organization, Pointer.org, guess who they're funded by? Well, IFCN has received funding from the Arthur M. Blank Family Foundation, the Duke Reporters Lab, the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation, Google, the National Endowment for Democracy, a.k.a. the CIA, the Omidyar Network, the Open Society Foundation, Soros again, and the Park Foundation, etc., etc. Every time you turn over one of these mainstream-approved fact-checking sites or the networks that, that propagate those, those uh, fact-checks, you will find funding from the same few sources, including the Gates Foundation. Or, if not, um, there are other examples of how this functions. For example, um, it can absolutely be used for political purposes, as I'm sure my audience is aware, and there are some easily documentable uh, examples of that. For example, um, these, these types of fact-checking organizations and, and fake news uh, awareness bots and what have you are popping up all the time. So, for example, you might remember Hamilton 68, which purports to be a dashboard using proprietary secret algorithms that they can't share with anyone to identify and track Russian bot propaganda uh, that, oh, again, when you look into them, happens to be run by a shadowy organization that is advised by Michael Chertoff and Bill Crystal and Mike McFall and a gaggle of other neocons. And uh, you might remember, because Hamilton 68 specifically won the award for fakest Russian fake news tracking service back during the first annual Real Fake News Awards. So that's one prime example of how this functions. Another prime example is an organization that you may not have heard of yet, but I have a feeling you will in the future. That's NewsGuard which was featured in an article by a uh, previous Corbett Report guest, Derek Brose, that he wrote for The Last American Vagabond last month, called This is Why You Can't Trust the Fact-Checkers. And as he's talking about NewsGuard, he notes, quote, NewsGuard is one of a number of fact-checker services which has proliferated since the election of Donald Trump to U.S. President. NewsGuard is a browser plug-in for Chrome and Microsoft Edge that gives trustworthiness ratings to most of the Internet's top-trafficked sites. It uses a color-coded system to warn readers of an article or website's trustworthiness. In a previous investigation, the last American vagabond writer Whitney Webb exposed the neoconservative roots of the NewsGuard team, and Webb wrote, quoting Whitney Webb, NewsGuard's advisory board makes it clear that the NewsGuard was created to serve the interests of American oligarchy. Chief among NewsGuard's advisors are Tom Ridge, the first Secretary of Homeland Security under George W. Bush, a retired General Michael Hayden, a former CIA director, a former NSA director, and principal at the Chertoff Group, security consultancy seeking to advise corporate clients and governments, including foreign governments, on security matters that was co-founded by former Homeland Security Secretary Michael Chertoff who also currently serves as the board chairman of web major weapons manufacturer BAE Systems. NewsGuard started as a partnership between Stephen Brill and Louis Gordon Kravitz, with Kravitz appearing to be the connection to the world of finance, media, and geopolitics. 
Kravitz held a number of positions at Dow Jones and the Wall Street Journal, is a member of Business Insider, a member of the Council on Foreign Relations, and claims to have been an editor or contributor to books published by the American Enterprise Institute and Heritage Foundation. As Webb noted, the American Enterprise Institute, AEI, is one of the most influential neocon think tanks in the country, and its scholars, directors, and fellows have included neoconservative figures like Paul Wolfowitz, Richard Pearl, John Bolton, and Frederick Kagan. End quote. I hope you will go and read through that full article from Derek Bros that goes into much more detail about this, including detail about his own personal experiences with these types of fact-checking organizations that have had direct effects on the sites that he has worked with in the past. But for more information on that, I recently had the chance to ask Derek Bros about those experiences directly. So tell us a little bit about your own personal experience with this, because you've been involved with uh, a couple or a few websites that have been fact-checked um, in this way, and tell us how that's affected you. So most recently, it's been with, uh, when I was writing with The Mind Unleashed until recently, and they, you know, they write investigations and articles just like everybody else in the independent media, and we have had a number of fact-checks from, from NewsGuard, but also from Websites like News Leader, Le Stories Leader, and it, some that are kind of vague names like Science Feedback or Africa Check and different things like this. Um, and basically, they, they're they using several tactics. One of them is just semantics, right? So if you're like, okay, for example, we reported on Event 201 when it was first coming out about that, that, hey, the Gates Foundation and others funded this uh, simulation that said 65 million people would die from a coronavirus. We reported that way back in January, February, when it was just kind of starting to make the news that there was a virus spreading around. That got fact-checked immediately, and the argument for them labeling us false, and then, of course, when people try to share it on social media, it gets a big little warning saying, are you sure you want to share this fake news? And telling them why it's wrong and all this sort of stuff. Uh, their argument was that, well, yes, technically this simulation happened, but it was a novel coronavirus. It wasn't the current coronavirus we're dealing with. So even the, you know, and we weren't even trying to claim per se. We were just saying, hey, people, here's some facts. You know, and well, they're saying, well, yeah, technically you're right, but since it wasn't exact, you know, and that's sort of the approach that we've seen over and over. With they'll take, you know, little splitting hairs, things like that. Uh, even when we make it clear, according to these outlets, this is false or whatever, you know, trying to go the extra mile to be quote unquote objective, uh, these folks do not back off. Essentially, you'll get a fact checked on, say, Facebook or wherever, and then you'll get an email saying, hey, I'm with NewsGuard, I'm with Science Leader, I'm with whoever, and we're going over your article, and it's false for these various reasons. And you can correspond with them if you choose to. And I have a friend who is kind of the administrator for the Mind Unleashed, and he decided, okay, I'm going to play their game. Let's see how this goes. And he was trying to be very accommodating, but it basically comes down to they want you to change the title. They want you to add a note saying that this is false. They want you to add in you know, some extra statements, padding it up. And then even then, they they still, in some cases, won't remove the false rating. And at the same time, this friend said, okay, look, how about if we just delete the article, which I thought was a mistake. You know, I'm like, we haven't lied. Why would should we, why should we play their game? But he's like, it maybe we'll just, let's just delete it. It'll be easier. But they said, well, if you delete it, we're still going to leave up that you have a false rating. So they want you to leave it up with corrections, change the title, and basically just acquiesce to whatever they want. And in my experience, um, as a, this is starting to become more regular uh, for those of us writing independent media, they they will not back off until you basically say, we're liars, this is fake, 
they were right. You know, the mainstream, you know, there's, there's no kind of middle ground. And, and often they're kind of starting out with these presuppositions that, well, since we already know what you're promoting is fake, there's no reason for you to even mention these other theories or these other ideas. You know, we already know it's not true, so there's no reason to show the reader, which we, as you know, have seen in many debates, including the climate change debate and now with COVID-19, where there's not, there's no two sides to an argument. It's, we know those people are wrong, so we don't have to give them space. Once again, that's Derek Bros of theconsciousresistance.com, and I hope that that little clip from our conversation helps to drive the point home for people out there who may not be operating a website themselves, but if you do follow the alternative media, you almost undoubtedly have followed some outlet or other that has been directly affected by this. There have been uh, very good independent news sources that have been undermined one way or another by these types of fact-checking organizations that have ultimately led to deplatforming of entire news uh, sites on, in various ways. So this is starting already to affect the ability of independent journalists to function in the way that they've been functioning for the past decade plus online. But it is, as bad as all of that is, it is about to get even worse. And indications of that come, for example, from that reporting, uh, that Whitney Webb reporting on NewsGuard that Derek referenced in that article we were reading from earlier, uh, specifically how a neocon-backed fact-checker plans to wage war on independent media, which uh, which uh, Whitney Webb was penning for Mint Press News back in January of 2019. I'll throw the link in the show notes in case you haven't read it yet. But uh, that not only goes through the incredible detail of this NewsGuard operation and where it came from and who's behind it, but perhaps even more ominously, where it is going from here. Because these are now, we're not just looking at the prospect of passive fact-checking sites that sit there in the background that people might find if they happen to Google a piece of information, but or we're not even just talking about partnering with Facebook or Google or what have you to slap fact-check verification or this has been debunked claims all over someone's social media posts. No, they're starting to look at the next generation of how this type of censorship can be imposed on internet users without them even necessarily understanding who is doing this or for what purpose. And examples of that come from a NewsGuard browser extension that purports to give you a nutrition label for any given information site you're visiting. How, how nutritious is the information from this site? And it can be ranked in a number of ways, but basically giving you a green check mark or a red X to, for, the, for the heart of thinking, just to simplify and dumb it down even that much further. You shouldn't trust this information. You should trust this information, um, which is quite ridiculous when it comes down to, for example, well, correctly identifying that RT is Russian government-sponsored propaganda. Okay, yes, but Voice of America is A-OK because they run by a special charter that tells them to be objective. <laughs> and they have nothing to do with the CIA or the U.S. State Department. Oh, wait. <laughs> so you see how obviously biased this is, ridiculously so, but most people will not bother to go beyond the green checkmark or the red X. And this is ominous because this browser extension, again, is not just going to be some sort of passive thing that people necessarily choose to, uh, to start browsing the web with. They might, might have it chosen for them. Early indications of that came back uh, all the way in December of 2018, where the 
public library system of the state of Hawaii was teaming up with NewsGuard to spread news literacy to library patrons in Hawaii, talking about uh, the browser extension that was going to be added to the state library computers and internet networks. So, like it or not, that sort of thing is going to be imposed uh, on you. And then it got even worse in January of 2019 when Microsoft decided to, quote, fight fake news with its Edge mobile browser, where it notes that Microsoft has started warning users of its Edge mobile browser about untrustworthy news sites. The software giant has partnered with NewsGuard to provide warnings in its Edge browser for iOS and Android, and this functionality has been added this week as an optional setting. And uh, this article goes on to talk about the browser extension that's being automatically added to Microsoft Edge and... uh, And at that time, it was a free extension that was freely available. I am relieved to note that earlier this year, they actually put a paywall on it. So now, uh, as reported by OnMSFT.com, Microsoft Edge's NewsGuard extension now requires a paid membership to use. Uh, Yes, the the entire NewsGuard service was completely free to use before now, but now costs around $3 a month to, to use. In good news, the paid subscription will also unlock all features on other browsers in addition to Microsoft Edge, as long as the same account is used. <laughs> so, so bizarrely enough, they're, I guess they're taking it as their business model to try to get the people who are using their browser extension to pay them directly for the privilege and honor of this soft censorship. It's a bizarre idea, and I don't see that flying, as evidenced by... If nothing else, at least the uh, dis- the comment section there on, on msft.com. Um, I mean, just one person who says, the extension was a handy first-look assessment of reliability and transparency, but it's not something I'm willing to pay for. <laughs> and uh, people who are slightly less credulous, uh, like M. Mersek, writing, good, a paywall for censorship is a step in the right direction. Are you putting it further away uh, so that it's less likely to intrude on most people's browsing experience? That is good. It is good to know that NewsGuard is taking a bizarre own goal there and basically hiding their service away from most people. But unfortunately, we see that that door has been opened. And lo and behold, what if, I mean, just what if, instead of Microsoft stepping in and helping to support NewsGuard by volunteering to allow it to be automatically added to its Microsoft Edge browser as an optional extension. What if, oh, I don't know, the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation stepped in with sponsorship of NewsGuard as part of its media uh, sponsorships and grants and gives NewsGuard a bunch of money so that they can freely install this on on Microsoft browsers, for example. I mean, just as a crazy example plucked out of thin air. And then what do you think that that NewsGuard nutrition label would label a site like the Gorber Report that publishes reports like Who is Bill Gates? Hmm. I wonder what that means. So I, I envision, as, as things proceed, unless things are derailed in some way that's difficult to imagine at this point, but I envision that the Internet of the future will, at the very least be a much more difficult place to navigate around freely if you are on any of the mainstream controlled apps from the big tech companies like Microsoft or or Google or what have you. Um, They are going to be more and more booby-trapped with extensions and other things that will basically prevent you from reaching sites like the Corporate Report at all. That is being baked into the cake, and it's just a matter of time from here. So all of this... Once again, uh, we find ourselves in the position of having 
probably already understood, but at any rate understanding even greater detail now the problem, it really does raise the question, what is the solution? Which is always the real question here, because there really is a problem, I suppose, a problem of sorts, in that there really is misinformation and disinformation that is bandied about on the internet at all times, and even well-meaning people can be caught up in that misinformation web and unwittingly be taken in and pass along information that ultimately is not true and in fact can even be harmful because, uh, for example, just as one example, well, people are spreading misinformation about COVID-19, well then, that's going to cause people to die, don't you know, and therefore you will be responsible for deaths. So therefore, you know, we'll have to bolster our argument for mandatory vaccinations or whatever. I mean, the logic doesn't have to make perfect sense, but it certainly does line up. And uh, so when people are engaged in spreading misinformation, even well-meaning people who are following independent news sources, guess what? There is misinformation and disinformation in the independent news sphere as well, as well as, of course, the establishment propaganda, which is full of misinformation and disinformation. It is everywhere. It is pervasive. So how do we sort through this? And wouldn't it be nice if there was some fact-checking site that we could just turn our brain off and let it do the thinking for us, wouldn't it? I mean, it does raise the question, what, what approach do we take? And perhaps, let's put our thinking cap on, perhaps the approach is to fight the fire of disinformation and fake news and propaganda with disinformation and fake news and propaganda? So what do you do when this happens? A loved one, say your dad, drops into the family group chat with something that he thinks is real. It's something about how everyone in the world will need an experimental mRNA vaccine to protect us from coronavirus. There's a link to the CBC with a message calling it scary stuff. So what do you do with this? Do you ignore it? Do you call him out saying how ridiculous you think it is? If you do that to your dad, you've actually shamed him. My name is Talking Head. I'm the worldwide director of prestigious sounding front organization, which gives an air of legitimacy to a random person telling you how to think and act. What happens is that your dad doubles down on his view and dismisses what you're saying. So hold back on all that reactive talk. Maybe try something like this. Yeah, these are scary times. We're all a bit afraid, but let's be careful. What you're sharing is inaccurate and it feeds into that fear that we all feel. Everybody's anxiety is so heightened right now. People are sharing this stuff not for any malicious reasons, but because they're scared too. Sending more context could be a good move, but don't drown them in evidence. Maybe try sending an article from a legitimate source, including credible scientists, on why an mRNA vaccine is experimental, untested, unproven technology that will change you at the genomic level, and that the only vaccine ever developed against coronavirus actually made people more susceptible to infection. Mainstream media narratives can be just as infectious as any coronavirus, so you need to guard against them. It's very easy just to mute your crazy MSM-believing friend on Twitbookgram, or to leave a tick-snap group where people are sharing establishment propaganda. But right now, I think there's actually a kind of responsibility for all of us to share the Corbett Report's new documentary, Who is Bill Gates? So they will realize how deep the deception goes and how all of the establishment sources that they believe in are funded by the eugenicists who are admittedly using their wealth to reduce the world's population. Yeah, no, maybe not. Let's not go down that road, shall we? So then what are, realistically, what are our options? What are our solutions here? 
And I must admit, I have put a great deal of thought into this in the past couple of years, really, but in a more determined manner in the last several months, as these types of fact-checking organizations have risen to the fore and are more and more policing content on the internet, and I have mused, wouldn't it be nice if there was a real and genuinely independent fact-checker that uh, could pose a real and viable alternative to the news guards and what have you of the world, funded by some multi-millionaire tech-savvy and tech-inclined uh, uh, investor who also was dedicated to truth and real information, well, again, quite a pipe dream. And even if that were possible, would that really be the solution here? Maybe not. And again, this is something that I had the chance to discuss with Derek Rose. Okay, fake news and all of this has, you know, obviously come to the fore in the past few years and become this big issue that requires all these fact-checkers that's going to change the way the internet functions, blah, blah, blah. To be fair, there is bad information out there, and I know you deal with it, and I try to deal with it. A lot of people get either, will, like, well-meaning people get suckered in by, you know, oh, is that Bill Gates giving us a lecture to the CIA or whatever? Uh, other people are probably willfully spreading misinformation. Uh, so there is a need for fact-checking. I agree with that idea, but the way in which it is being done and the people who are doing it and the way that they are uh, partnering with the Atlantic Council and Facebook and others obviously raises a lot of questions. Can you speak to that idea of, uh, for example, the specter of the purposeful seeding of misinformation out there so that they can come along and fact-check it and debunk it and dismiss valid information and the way in which they are doing this? Are there better ways that we can imagine to do this? And also, <laughs> how does this tie into Event 201 and the flooding of the zone and all of that? Oh, yeah. So, I mean, I agree with you, of course, that there definitely is a need for for some type of fact-checking. And I've talked with other independent media outlets and said, hey, we need to create our own kind of conglomerate of fact-checkers where, you know, we can fact-check their, their lies. And this, I mean, that's a full-time job, right? But, you know, I worry that just on that note, we end up fracturing where, well, they've got their fact-checkers, we've got our fact-checkers, we've got our experts, and they've got their experts, and, you know, people are just going to believe whatever they want at the end of the day, but there is clearly a need for this, because, um, I mean, I'll name drop a couple, your newswire, before it's news, anybody who's been around long enough knows that those are fake, like, literal fake news, garbage news websites, and you learn that once you've been in these circles for a period of time, and, oh, yeah, I can't trust that outlet, but you see people who maybe are more, more uh, I don't know, just naive or willing to believe whatever, or they only read the headlines, sharing those links around. This literally just happened to me yesterday. I had somebody share some link about something to do with George Soros, and I did a two-minute check and said, okay, well, this website, your newswire is now called News Punch, and it's ran by this guy, and he has a rec you know, I had to explain to him, he has a reputation for this. I don't know if he's an agent spreading purposeful disinformation or if he's just trying to make money off headlines. I mean, there's that side of these things, too. Um, so it is a realistic problem that I think we need to contend with and it's really from my view it's up to us as content creators and the audience to personal responsibility to step that up but the one issue that I have seen and I've battled this definitely a lot especially you know we talked about this a few months ago with the 5G and coronavirus and everything that there are people who do not see themselves like I personally do see myself as a journalist as a freelance journalist that tries to do the best I can to find the facts and fact check myself and you know sourcing and all this sort of stuff and I've done enough uh, individual education to learn about journalistic ethics and to you know take the good and leave the leave the rest but I think there are some folks who simply see themselves as I'm just a YouTuber I'm just a you know online Facebook commenter it doesn't really matter if everything I say is actually true or not 
you know, there's nobody, there's, they're just kind of loose with the information and they are a part of the problem, even if their intentions are good and even if maybe they're overall helping get people to question things. But as you said with the FunVax thing, like I don't want to build an audience of people who are just going to believe any garbage. You know, I don't, I want people to really think and question that. But unfortunately, there are lots of folks in the truther, conspiracy, research space that are loose with facts and kind of if, hey, well, if it gets people upset and pushes them towards the larger agenda, then who cares if the details are right? And I think that's hugely problematic. So, I mean, if we could come up with the resources to have an independent fact checker that could both fact check independent media and uh, mainstream, then that would be amazing. It would be a pretty big job. But also if we just as individuals can start being more responsible and, and actually caring and giving a damn about the content that we put out, um, as you do and I know I do, then I think that can make a big difference. And then as far as Event 201, the flood, in Event 201, they've used the language several times, including in the actual exercise and since then, that they're trying to flood the public with you know, credible information from credible sources, CDC, World Health Organization, etc., because of, as they predicted, the spread of misinformation and disinformation. But I, I don't believe that their flood is only to give us the mainstream version of events, but to flood us with purposeful disinformation and bad information. So to the point where people just throw their hands up because they can't tell what's up and what's down anymore. You know, they, they're worried about this theory and this theory. And, and I've noticed people are often holding conflicting views. Well, they believe this about COVID-19 or whatever topic, but then they also believe this and that conflicts with that, but they don't, you know, and it's just, um, you know, and I know you've you've also fact checked and looked into the quote about you know the CIA disinfor- disinformation campaign will be complete. Well, the campaign is complete. You know, people can't tell fact from fiction. I mean, we're at that point. So, I mean, I I, I just think it's a two part thing. There's a relationship. We have to be better content creators, and and as as we both strive for, and the people have to be willing to look at the information and fact check it, and not just read headlines, and not just oh I saw a video and it confirmed what I already felt. You know, and I think that's another big thing. People have trouble telling the difference between believing and knowing. We can believe and know things. We can speculate about them, but we don't necessarily always have the facts. And so I, we have to figure that out. I mean, I, there's a big issue there, I'd say. Once again, Derek Bros of theconsciousresistance.com. And I want people to take note of the fact that Derek is not simply talking about these issues theoretically. It is something that he is... Uh, rolling up his sleeves and dealing with on a regular basis over at the Conscious Resistance, where he has done a number of fact-check type videos about things that are bandied about in the independent media space that may or may not have factual bases behind them. And often it's something in between. There may be a fact here or something there that points to this, but it's not as definitive as people like to say. The truth is often somewhat murkier than this simple simple and simplistic green check mark, red X, this is a verified fact, this is fake news. Often we are left with competing narratives that are based on different pieces of information that we have to piece together from various things that we have access to and then some things that we don't have access to. And uh, it is a painstaking effort. And I will put in some examples in the show notes for you of uh, times that Derek has taken on some some projects like that to basically get to the bottom of what do we know and what do we not know about this and can can we verify this claim. He does a good job of that. And you will remember, you'll cast your mind back a week or so ago, where I was doing a fact check of my own about the Bill Gates, quote-unquote, delivering a lecture to the CIA, quote-unquote, 
uh, that video, which got passed around in the past month or so, which was definitely not what it purported to be, and it required a fact check, and there you go. There's independent media with a large megaphone for that piece of misinformation, so uh, it required a fact check, and I did one. And I believe, I, I have the intention of doing that as needed on a ongoing basis, and perhaps on a regular basis, in a similar way to the way that the Propaganda Watch series that I do just kind of developed as I started to make note of specific pieces of propaganda and decided why not do a video series on it, and suddenly, well, I could do this every week. Well, maybe it will be the same thing for fact-checking. Maybe not. If you do have some ideas of things that need fact-checking, please do send them in, and I'll consider doing that as part of an ongoing series. But I, I will commit myself to looking at pieces of information, specific claims, and dissecting them, whether those claims come from the independent media or the establishment media. Uh, again, misinformation and disinformation is rife everywhere. So it is incumbent on the content creators to be responsible with the information they're passing on and to, to take that, make that effort to actually verify claims and, and demonstrate that to their audiences. But it's also up to the audience to not rely on myself or Derek or any other source of information to tell you what is true and what is not, but to hopefully show you pieces of in factual information that are verifiable or that do not add up. And that is where personal responsibility comes into this. But since this is the Corbett Report and we always go several layers deeper, I think it is important to also bring up the, the specter of what I was talking about just a moment ago, about how it's never quite as clear-cut and cut-and-dry as green checkmark, this is verified factual information, red X, this is verified fake news. There's often ambiguity and space in the middle, and, well, this claim we can't pin down might be true, it might not, but this is, to the best of my ability, this is the evidence that we have, and I tend to believe this. It often comes down to decisions like that, because although there are certainly facts about the outside world that are verifiable and independently true and measurable, there are also things that are not measurable. Is it raining outside? That is something that we can be verified, at least if we define our terms and our geographical boundary and what have you, what, what are we talking about? But did such and such event occur at this time in this place in this way, funded by this person? Does it mean this? Is, is it driven by this ideology or that ideology, often when you're talking about news and uh, so, uh, social events and information, there's a lot of layer, layers of ambiguity there. So even the concept of fact-checking when it comes to information that's being presented in the news is problematic. There are a number of levels of, of problems that arise when we start just in a haphazard way throwing that term around. This is fact-checked. This is verified. This is debunked. This is fake news. Often it's not quite as cut and dry, and in order to demonstrate that, rather than to belabor that point myself, I will direct you in the direction of in-this-together.com, uh, the site of Ian Davis, previous Corbett Report guest, who had a, uh, a post up on this topic back in February called Not Fact Checkers that is definitely worth checking out if you're interested in that discussion. But I think we're going to leave this discussion here for today on... Again, the ambiguous note, it's, it's not a happy answer, and it's not one that people want to hear, but the answer, as always, is they're verify information, and we cannot do that with every claim we hear every day, so I understand that, but we can at least set that bar, set that threshold for ourselves before we pass information on to others, and I think that personal integrity is the ground layer of what we need in order to build a, uh, on that foundation, uh, build a firmer, uh, 
structure of information and ideology based upon that structure of information we can trust. So it is a lot of work. That is effort. And, it, uh, and it's not effort that can be done by one person by themselves working in a vacuum. Of course, it takes many, many hands to make that light work. So again, there's so many different aspects to this, but we're going to leave that there for today. I hope uh, that this at least shed some light on the fact-checking industry, which is rising up and which is threatening to fundamentally alter the, the infrastructure and ecosystem of the internet.